you have your Bible, take them and turn with me to Acts chapter number 1, starting a new series this morning entitled, Come Alive, all about the empowering of the church. Been talking about this for some time. Uh, I've been wanting to preach out of the book of Acts probably for the past couple of years now. The Lord just hasn't led that way, and finally here we are. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Acts probably for the next year, uh, but it's going to cover multiple series within the greater series of the book because it's broken down into different segments for us. And today is kind of an overview message of the first chapter and really the first several chapters. Uh, I believe that the church was started with Jesus and his disciples, and I believe that it was empowered uh, at Pentecost and really in that upper room. And many believe that the church started there, and really the earthly start after Jesus left did start. But I think the, the work started with Jesus and his disciples uh, the training and all that stuff that, that took place. But if you have your Bible, take it and turn in Acts chapter 1. Go ahead and stand if you would, and you could. We're going to read a few verses together, so follow along with me this morning. We're going to start in verse number 1 of Acts chapter number 1. The Bible says, The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after that, he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of things pertaining unto the kingdom of God. So really, this is a continuation from uh, Jesus' uh, death on the cross, his burial, his resurrection, uh, the events that followed afterwards, the the writer of this book is Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, and really the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, is just a continuing story of what happened next. Uh, verse number four, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart. So Jesus is telling all of his followers to not depart uh, from Jerusalem. Stay there, wait for the promise of the Father. And the promise of the Father was the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost that was going to come upon them when Jesus left. Verse 5, For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? They were hoping that Jesus was going to come and reign and rule at that time, but his answer was, No, not yet. Just wait. There is still more work that needs to be done. Verse 7, and he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times of the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power. And this is really the theme verse for this whole book. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and in Samaria and into the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things while they beheld, he was taken up. What a sight that must have been, right? All of a sudden, he's speaking, and boom, he's gone. He's up in the clouds, up in heaven. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went, I love this, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, two angels, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, what are you doing here? Why stand ye gazing up into heaven? Again, who wouldn't be gazing up in heaven at this magnificent sight that just took place? But the angels are basically saying, hey, you have work to do. Get to it. This same Jesus which was taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Then return they to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were coming to the upper room, 
uh, where they abode with Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, Zelotes, and Judas, the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you again so much for this day. Lord, I'm so excited. It's been 13 Sundays since we've been able to meet inside, and I'm so excited, so thankful that we can come together again. It's just nice not having uh, the wind blow my pages on my Bible, not getting sunburned. Uh, we are thankful for the rain, but Lord, we're so thankful for the opportunity to come and worship you this morning and just hearing uh, music and hearing people singing together. And Lord, I pray that you'd be with us for the next few minutes as we focus on your word and focus on this message and really look at this introductory message for this series and help us understand some very important things about the apostles and about the disciples and what they discovered and what they did after Jesus left. And Lord, we're thankful for the song that was just sang. And Lord, the power of that song, that the gospel changes lives. And Lord, I know it's changed my life. And many here today can testify of the change that the gospel has brought in their own life and their own families. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to continue the work that you have called us to do. And as we look at this empowering of the church and the coming alive of the church, Lord, I pray that you would spark a fire within us here at Eagle Drive Baptist Church, that you would help us to truly be alive and empower us with your Holy Spirit and with the presence. I'm thankful for that, Lord, in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Acts is a very unique book. It's really a bridge between the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and really the rest of the New Testament. Again, I believe it is the empowering of the church, the church coming alive in the, the, the true formulation of the, of the church with the structures and the models and things that we have today. And I was thinking about this last night. I was, just, I was going over uh, my final notes in preparation and study. You know, I've heard a lot of messages out of the book of Acts uh, as a kid growing up in church. And a lot of times I heard messages from missionaries, from evangelists, from other preachers that would come in and, and as guest preachers. And, and my first reaction a lot of times as I heard messages is like, oh great, here we go again. Another message on the church. That's exactly what I want to hear. Another message about how we're supposed to be missionaries. That's exactly what I want to hear. But as I've studied it myself over the past several years, I've realized that there's so much more than my own little mind was conceiving and, and perceiving about some things. And just a couple things quickly. I think you have them in your notes there for you. But there's a couple different ways that we can study this great book. First of all, we can study it as a cold scholar. Here's what I mean. Concerned more about the dates and the facts in which to analyze. So we can just analyze this book, all the dates, all the facts. Another way we can study it as a, as a casual admirer, meaning that we admire the moments because of a casual interest. But we seldom do we allow the events that we read and watch change us in the present. And there are many people that even do this with their lives. They, they watch something maybe on the History Channel. They enjoy it. They watch it as a casual admirer, but they don't allow those events, those moments, to truly change and transform their life. But I'm urging you today and the next several weeks and months on this journey to look at it from a different perspective, to look at it from the perspective of a committed follower, a committed follower of Jesus Christ. I don't want this to be a self-help journey. I want it to be more than that. I want, us, I want it to challenge us to be better soldiers for Jesus Christ. 
to be the soldier that he has called us. And I, I love what Adrian Rogers, a great preacher of the past, said about this passage in this book. He said, it's almost like Mission Impossible. Have we ever seen those movies? It's almost like Mission Impossible. Here they are, a little group of ragtag apostles, some of them fishermen. They're unlettered with little to no education. They have no seminaries. They have no finances. They have no prestige. They have no political pull. And yet, they are commanded to go into the world and proclaim a message from a Galilean peasant who died on a cross and crucified by the Roman government. He said, it's mission impossible. You see, why is Acts so important for us? Because really, it's the blueprint for the church today. And I've said this in the past four and a half years that I've been here. What I want for our church, and we're, we're in the process of that, but what I want for our church and really every church is not that we become a 21st century church and, and change everything up and go all modern, but really we need to get back to a first century model and become a first century church. Because what we have in the book of Acts and in the Gospels and, and really in the Bible is the model for which that we should act and uh, really pr produce our lives and, and proclaim our lives. And what we see here in this book is that it reveals some very important things. First of all, it reveals what happens when you are truly led by the Spirit. But it also reveals what happens when you are not led by the Spirit. You know, we have a couple of pastors here and preachers here, and I'm sure you've both seen churches that have been led by the Spirit, right? And the power that came about, but I'm sure you've also seen churches that were not led by the Spirit. And just horrible things that happen. And I've, I've experienced that in my own life. I've been a part of churches, and I've, I've seen churches from a distance that were truly filled with the Spirit of God and had the power of the Holy Spirit upon them. And those churches, you know what happened to those churches? They exploded in a good way. And that's what I want from our church. I want our church to explode. And Luke shows what happened and how the early church exploded Christianity, and it was all about the gospel proclamation. Because as we've talked about, the gospel truly changes lives. I said this in, a, in our, our series back in commission, but if we want to grow and become new, then we have to go back to something old. A church isn't a country club or a cruise liner. A church is a battleship that has been given a commission. We have a responsibility to have life on mission for God. We have a responsibility to live supernaturally through the power of the Holy Spirit instead of living superficially through the power of self. And I've seen that many times as a pastor's kid growing up in ministry my whole life. I have seen people living superficially through the power of their own self instead of supernaturally through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's right. And that's what I want us to see this morning and in the weeks to come. And in verse number one, Luke starts out, the former treatise have I made, O Theophilus. So he's kind of setting us up because he had also kind of written this to Theophilus. And we'll talk a little bit more about who he is maybe next week. But he's, a, he's continuing the story from the first gospel and continuing what is going on now. And look as we continue on verse number one. Of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. Now, I'm going to try not to get ahead of myself like I, I do many times. I've already got my message mostly done for next week, and I'm, it's kind of in, ingrained within me. So I might be preaching some things this morning and some things next week, and then vice versa and all that. But began implies continuation. The thing that jumps right off the page to me is this. 
This is an unfinished story. Now, a lot of times we talk about the finished work of the cross, right? And when Jesus died on the cross, the work, in a sense, was finished. But really, the story continues. The story continues with us some 2,000 years later. And that's what Luke is trying to get across. All that Jesus began both to do and to teach, we need to continue it. Jesus has invited us as his church, if we are a follower of him, if we have accepted him into our heart and to our life to be our savior, he has invited us to join in with him, to advance his kingdom. And it's an awesome thing. It's an awesome responsibility. Verse number two, unto the day in which he has taken up. So until he goes up, until he comes back, we have a work to do. Verse number three, to whom also he showed himself alive. Now this is talking about things that happened after his resurrection. Many believe that the resurrection of Jesus was just a hoax, but the Bible makes it clear that there were over 500 witnesses. When you have over 500 testimonies, it's hard to make that a hoax. It's hard to have a conspiracy theory with over 500 witnesses. People saw the resurrected Jesus, the resurrected Savior. They saw the empty tomb. And in verse 3 it says, To whom he also showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, many things that he did that there is no questioning he is alive, being seen of them 40 days and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. This was no hoax. And if you're a Christian today, again, let me remind you that you have been called out. You have been made new. And it's time for the church to come alive. And what we see in this first chapter is Jesus is leaving them as he's about to ascend up into heaven and, and give them that final command and commission. We see that Jesus is helping them understand the difference between his agenda and their own agenda. All of us at times have had our own agenda, right? We have an agenda. We have certain things that we want to do, certain things that we want to accomplish. But as I've noticed in my life and as I've realized in my life, my agenda looks a lot different than Jesus's agenda. Anyone, anyone with me on that? My agenda looks completely different than Jesus's agenda. You see, what I've discovered is this. My agenda is often disappointing, but God's agenda is fulfilling. My agenda is small, but God's is big. My agenda, my story is limited to my limited perspective. And what we see as we continue on, verses 4 through 11, is the beginning of a movement. And that's the title of the message this morning. The beginning of a movement. Let's continue to read verse 4. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart. So he gave them a command. I don't want you to leave. I want you to wait. Now, it's very important. Again, we'll get to this next week. But it's very important that we wait on God's timing. That we don't just do things when we want to do them. And again, if you're, if you're like me, I've said this many times, I'm a very patient person when I want to be. But most of the time, I'm not very patient, Right? That's many of us, if not all of us. We are patient when we want to be, but most of the time we are not patient at all. But Jesus said, hey, I want you to wait because I have something special for you. And that's true for all of us. Christ has something special for us, but a lot of times we get in the way and we try to push the story along. We try to push our agenda along and we don't wait and we miss out on some of those blessings. 
Again, I'll never forget my parents growing up. You never know what you lost out on because you didn't just wait and didn't do what you're supposed to do. I think they were just making that up, but I think it is true also that I did probably miss out on some things because I pushed my agenda instead of waiting. But Jesus commands them to wait until the Holy Spirit. Let's continue on. Verse 6. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times, the seasons, which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses. You're going to be my witnesses unto both Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, unto the uttermost part of the earth. So basically, the whole world you are going to witness of me. Be my witnesses. And I can just imagine... As the story continues and as Jesus ascends up into heaven, I can just imagine that they're probably in awe and disbelief and wonder and probably thinking, wait, you really want us to go into the whole world? And all of a sudden Jesus is gone and they're like, yep, that's exactly what I want you to do. What are we supposed to do? Take the message and go into the whole world. And here we are some 2,000 years later. There are more Christians today on the planet than any other religious group. And it all stemmed from a group of fishermen, tax collectors, carpenters, and doctors. You see, the beginning of a church was a movement. A movement built around the conviction that Jesus had died as the only Savior for sinners. And that he had risen from the dead, proving that he was who he said he was. And two things this morning kind of by way of introduction that we're going to look at that kind of helps us understand this whole chapter, this whole first several chapters of this first series is this, first and foremost. The message of the gospel captured their hearts and minds. I'm talking about the disciples. I'm talking about the apostles. I'm talking about the early Christians. The reason they were able to do what they were able to do without the modern technology, without social media, uh, without all the conveniences that we have today is because the message of the gospel captured their hearts and minds. It truly changed them. When Jesus Christ came for them and died for their sins and they realized that and they understood that, they realized that, you know what? I have a job to do. Jesus gave me a job. He told me to go to spread the gospel. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to sit here and do nothing. Is that what they did? No, they didn't. They didn't just sit here like many of us do. They went because the gospel captured and changed their hearts and minds. And again, thank you so much for that song. Perfect song. But the question I think we have to ask ourselves this morning is this. Has the gospel truly captured you? Has it truly captured you, your heart, your mind? You see, with the disciples, with the the apostles, what we will discover in the weeks to come is that they couldn't shut up about it. You ever have something you're so passionate about that you just can't shut up about? Many of us have those things. You know, you're, you're talking to people and, you know, some people, you get them on a certain subject, you're like, oh, great, here we go again, right? It's like when you're talking to Brother Ron. It's like, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but there's certain people, and it's not about him, but you know, we haven't met inside, so we've got to pick on him. But there's certain people that just, they're passionate. About, and I, I'm like that. You're passionate about something. You just, you can't shut up about it. You keep going. You keep talking. And some people are like, okay, enough. You know, 
10 minutes ago, it was, it was too much. And now we're like 30 minutes later. But what I see and what I discover is that that's how the early church was. The gospel captured their hearts and minds so much that they were moved to move and they couldn't shut up about it. They couldn't keep quiet anymore. But what about us? What about you? Now, sometimes when we're first saved, it's one of those things where we're telling everyone, right? I remember when I was saved as just a four-year-old boy, almost five years old, in my home. It was night. I was scared of the dark. I was scared of these crazy, freaky dolls in my sister's room. They were hanging on the, on the walls. I don't know why they had them there. Anyway, I'm, I'm pretty confident they were coming alive at night, but I, I don't know. Anyway, um, totally getting off track. But I remember when I got saved, when I asked Jesus to save me, I wasn't scared of those dolls because I wanted to tell my sisters. I had to go wake them up. I called my, my grandparents and, hey, Grandma and Grandpa, I got saved tonight. I was excited. But you know what's happened over time? Sometimes that excitement has worn off. That ever happened with you? But if we truly want to be a church that not is just coming alive but is alive, then we have to allow the message of the gospel to continue to capture our hearts and minds. You see, the thing about a movement, I'm going to talk a little bit more about a movement, about this beginning of a movement. And this is key. I don't have it in your notes, but if you want to write it down, this is good. The thing about a movement is this. Movements move. I know, it's just, I blew you away. But the thing about a movement is movements move. So are you moving with the gospel? Are you moving with the message of Jesus Christ? Today, often, we have to coax people to move. We have to have incentives for you to move. We have to have incentives for people to, to come out and witness and, and go take the message of Jesus Christ. Hey, if you bring people in, I'll give you a gift card. Okay, I'll do it. I'll give you an Xbox. I'll give you this. Okay, I'll do it. But those early Christians, those early disciples, those early apostles... They didn't have to have any incentives, did they? Their only incentive was Jesus died for us. He commissioned us. I got to do it. <laughs> I got to go. I got to tell them. You see, if there's danger and you know it, you're going to tell your friends and family about that danger, right? You're not going to let them knowingly, now maybe if someone you don't like, you might do that, but you're not going to knowingly allow danger to happen, right, Tasha? Yes, I saw her smile. Uh, we're not going to allow danger to come upon those individuals. In the fall, uh, many years ago, during an icy storm, a bridge collapsed. Cars continued to travel towards this bridge, and many of them plunged into the icy river below. One man went over, climbed out of his car, and then stood on the highway trying to stop others from plunging over. But car after car after car drove on by, unaware of the danger ahead. He would shout and wave, the bridge is out, the bridge is out, but no one stopped. Finally, he took off his jacket, stood in the middle of the highway, refused to move, waving his jacket. One angry driver shouted, what do you think you are? Who do you think you are? What are you doing on a night like this? And he replied, the bridge is out. The driver turned his car sideways, hit on the brakes, and was able to stop. And many others were stopped from sudden destruction. You see, this man that went overboard realized there is danger, so he was willing to warn other people. 
And we would do the same thing. If we knew someone was in danger, someone that we loved, we would warn them. But what about people that are dying in our world? The past two weeks we've talked about our true identity, understanding who we are and what we're meant for, especially with what's going on in our society. But the problem with our society, as I said, it's a gospel problem, really. It's not a race problem. It's a gospel problem because people need the gospel of Jesus Christ. They need to be saved. That's what's going to change their life, not trying to change their behavior, not trying to change, okay, who you vote for, who you don't vote for. That's not going to change anything. That's not going to solve anything. The only thing that's going to solve our problems in the world is the gospel. The message of Jesus Christ and what we see again is that the gospel captured their hearts and minds. And then the second thing this morning is this. What we're going to discover as we continue this series is this, the apostles, the early Christians, the disciples, yielded themselves to the Holy Spirit's guidance. They yielded, which means they submitted. Okay, God, God, here I am, Holy Spirit, here I am. I'm at your bidding. I'm at your disposal. I'm going to lose control. I'm going to do what you want me to do. But again, we've been talking about losing control. Some of us just can't do it because we have to be in control of everything. But it's our job to allow the Holy Spirit to control us, to lead us, to guide us, to move us forward. And what we see from this early church is that they yielded themselves to the Holy Spirit's guidance. This is about surrendering control to someone or something greater than you so that you can truly impact others around you, so that you can truly thrive in your Christian life. In every chapter of Acts, you'll get the sense that the church is simply following the Holy Spirit simply following his presence. Really, he's the real mover and shaker. He is working in people over here and working in people over there as they are yielded and submitted to him. And the amazing thing about what happened in the early church and how the gospel just exploded and people got saved, and really, we are testimony to the fact of this early church being empowered because we are here today. Because it has spread across the world, hasn't it? You know, when Jesus said, go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost part, really we are that uttermost part. But for the application to us today, it's let's do it to our own Jerusalem, our own Judea, our own Samaria, and then to the uttermost. Let's continue that cycle of spreading and spreading and spreading. But the thing that I see over and over, it's very easy to look at the Bible and think, man, these are just extraordinary people. They were ordinary people who did extraordinary things, not by their own power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. By the working of the Holy Spirit, guiding them, prompting them, moving them. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is not a luxury. It's a necessity. And I want to close this message this morning by kind of a call to action. I want to look at some past history, some messages that I took some, from some other preachers, and, and it'll kind of wrap it all up this morning. Well, people began to think of church as a place to go for religious services. Our English word church doesn't come from the Greek word ekklesia, but actually the German word kirch, which meant a sacred place where you gather for religious purposes. That shift in thinking changed the fundamental way that people related to the church. Throughout the dark and middle ages, people went to church because it was a place that you attended or an event that you sat through. 
rather than a movement that you were a part of. And so the church became an institution basically there to provide services for people, and it was controlled by powerful men and women who used it for their own interest. But then something amazing and something truly awesome happened. God raised up men and women called reformers. One of the main ones for the English-speaking world was a man by the name of William Tyndale. Tyndale came to the conviction that Christianity, listen, was essentially a movement. And that if people were going to be devoted to this movement, they had to understand the message. You see, prior to that time, it was the, the preachers, the priests, whoever was up there talking about the message. The people didn't have it in their hands. They didn't know what the message said. They were just listening to whoever was up here. It'd be like you guys not having a Bible today and listening word for word to what I say and taking it for truth. But a lot of what they said wasn't truth. It was a lot of their own interjections within there. But Tyndale said, you know what? We have to continue this movement. We have to get the message into people's hands. So he worked hard and tirelessly to produce the first translation of the Bible into the common English language. And every time he came to the word ecclesia, he translated it congregation instead of church. Here's why. Because he was trying to emphasize that the church was not a place you went, but a movement you belonged to. You know what that did? That infuriated the church leaders because it undercut their authority. Who does he think he is? Now the people are actually going to know what the Bible says. And it's not what we've been preaching and teaching. Eventually, Tyndale was tried as a heretic, hanged and burned at the stake. And I want you to listen to this. During his trial, right before he died, he proclaimed, he called out. He said, if God spares my life ere many years, I will cause the boy that drives the plow down the road to know more of the scriptures than you do. He was burned at the stake, but his last recorded words were this. Listen. He said, Lord, open the king of England's eyes. And then he died. And you know what? His prayer came true. Because a few years later, the king of England, King James, has a translation. And if even if you have a King James Bible, you have that translation. And it's all because of William Tyndale. All because of what he did and what he accomplished. You see, this is what the church is. It's an assembly built around the movement. And the danger, listen to me, the danger of any church in any age is to cease being a movement and instead become a ministry that provides service to people. Or even worse, a place where people simply attend. And I've seen that. I've seen that in my 36 years of existence. Instead of the church being a movement the way that it was intended to be, it's become a place that you provide services for me. And in my four and a half years as a pastor, I've had many people upset with me because I didn't provide them services that they think I should require or they think I should provide them. But it's not up to me to provide services for you. It's up to me to try to move you into this movement to spread the gospel to carry out the gospel of Jesus Christ. But a lot of us, listen, a lot of us are very stubborn. You know anybody that's stubborn? Don't look at anyone else. 
I saw Ryan starting to look over. I'm just going to look down. We all know people that are stubborn. I'm stubborn. Sometimes I don't like to move. Just like that, that donkey, that mule doesn't like to move. So, Ryan, why don't you come on up here? Perfect illustration. Really? Yeah, really. <laughs> Back inside. All right, so you got to be that stubborn person, okay? That's easy. I know it's hard. You got to be that stubborn person. So I'm going to I'm going to try to move you. Just sit in my chair. You don't move, okay? You're not trying. I know I'm not really trying. <laughs> I'm acting like I'm trying. <laughs> I'll try later. I'll hurt him. No, stay up here. Oh, we're, not we're not done. People got to see your face. <sighs> yeah, exactly. This is awesome. You want to preach now? Uh, no. Okay, good. Got He's got a verse, though, for you guys. No. We'll do that another time. <laughs> your wife grabbed at me yesterday for saying Oh, did she? Okay, well, we'll give it to her later. All right. Uh, this is what happens, though, a lot of times as, as the pastor, the preacher, the missionary, the evangelist, they're trying to, not coax, but they're trying to urge people to move, to allow the gospel to capture them. They're like, nope, I'm not moving. I'm standing my ground. I'm staying here. But the mic wants to come up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so just push him over. What it should be is as the church is trying to move you, allow me to move you, which shouldn't be too hard. <laughs> the church should be able to move you forward. But a lot of times, go ahead and sit down, Ryan. A lot of times, this is what happens. We just sit here. Do your best. Go ahead. I ain't moving. This has been my chair, my pew for one day now, so this is where I'm at. <laughs> I know it's a funny illustration. You can go back to your seat. You can stay there. It didn't really matter. I didn't matter. Whatever. Whatever you want to do. But the thing is, I shouldn't have to force people to move. Should I? No. We should be so yielded and surrendered to the Holy Spirit now, when he says move, we move. Yep. When he says go, we go. Right. And that's exactly what we see, what we discover from this early church, that when the disciples and the apostles, and I'm sure there was probably times where, you know what, really, we got to go into the whole world? we got to talk to those people? we got to go to those places? we got to go to those countries? But again, even in America, we have become very complacent in our Christianity. We have become complacent in the sense that, you know what? This is where I am rooted. This is where I'm born. This is where I'm going to die. I ain't going anywhere. But that's wrong, isn't it? And we wonder why people are messed up because really the church has almost ceased being a movement again, hasn't it? It ceased moving people along. And what I want, what I desire from our church is that people come and we move them along. Not that we come and we sit and we get comfortable and we're here for 50 or 60 years and we've never really done anything, but you know we grew a little bit, had some big days here and there. I don't want that. Because to me, that's not a biblical church. A biblical church, and we'll discover this later in, in, as we look at the church of Antioch, they came in to be sent out, <laughs> to go and take the gospel. And I'm sure this, this is uncomfortable for some people. They're like, no, I don't want that. But if we want the world to change we have to be the ones that are changing it through the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, we have been sent. We have been commissioned. The commission for the church wasn't just for the early disciples. When Jesus said, go into the world, that was for all of his followers. And if you're a true, committed follower of Jesus Christ, that is for you too. And when you're not obeying the commission, you are disobedient. Just like when your kids disobey an order and they don't do what you've asked them to do. You ever experienced that? 
All the time, many of us, right? But that's exactly what I see, and that's exactly what the Holy Spirit sees. That's exactly what Jesus sees. When he is trying to gently urge us and move us along, and nope, I ain't, I ain't moving. I'm staying. See, in the Greek New Testament, the word translated church uh, literally means an assembly or gathering of people around an idea. In fact, if you break down this word ekklesia, it comes from ek, meaning out of, and kaleo, which means called out. And again, I want to say this again. We've got this slide up there. Go ahead and put it up there, guys. But the church at its inception was a movement, a movement built around conviction that Jesus had died as the only Savior for sinners and that he had risen from the dead, proving he was who he said he was. The church is a movement, and movements move. And if you're not moving, have you really been captured by the message of the gospel? Complacency in the Christian life always points to being out of touch with the urgency of the message and blind to the glory of Christ. You see, it's not about our agenda. It's about his. It's not about advancing our kingdom. It's about his kingdom. And honestly, that's why people don't come to church sometimes, because they're afraid the pastor's going to say something, the preacher's going to say something, and they're going to have to go, and they're going to have to do something they don't want to do. Well, we have Christianity all wrong. Church, it's time that we come alive by the empowering of the Spirit. Are you engaged and moving, or are you complacent and sitting? The church is meant to be a movement, but we have to be willing to grow. Listen to this. We have to be willing to grow by being willing to go. Let me say that again. It's not in your notes. We have to be willing to grow by being willing to go. And this is why we're going to push harder with discipleship on a personal level as well as corporate level in the weeks to come. Because I want our church to be a movement that moves. And here's the key truth. We draw everything from this message this morning. Every Christian, if you're a Christian, if you're a child of God today, you're either a missionary or an imposter. That's really what it boils down to. Every Christian is either a missionary doing what you're called to do. I'm not saying you've got to go to foreign countries, but a missionary is just spreading the gospel sharing the gospel with anyone that they meet, anyone that they see. So either you're a missionary or you're an imposter. Well, I'm thankful I'm saved, so I don't have to go to hell, and now I'm just going to live my life how I want to live. That's an imposter. That's a poser. What I want from us is to be the ecclesia that Jesus called us to be. So church, allow the message of the gospel to capture your hearts and minds. And yield yourself to the Holy Spirit's guidance. Movements move. And if you're part of the movement of the local church, then you should be moving.